want you to think it's 8 o'clock at night. It doesn't really have to be 8 o'clock at night, but I want you to think it is. You're sitting in a corner booth. You're overlooking one of the most historic steakhouses in New York City. Whoopi Goldberg's having her birthday in the corner. Axel Rose is sitting at the bar having a drink. We're about to be in the old Homestead Steakhouse. My next guest, Greg Sherry, is an awesome human being. We talk for hours and hours. Matter of fact, this interview could have been four hours and it would have been interesting the whole way through. I love this guy. I love what he represents. I love the people that love him. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to Greg Sherry right now, season two. Well, Greg, how you doing? Robert, pleasure. Mr. Steak, they call you, apparently. Why That's do they call I you heard. Mr. Steak? Well, I'm only in the business now since I was 18 years old. Uh, I used to walk the market across the street, buying the meat for the restaurant, and uh, buying thousands of pounds of meat and stamping them with my branding iron. I got the nickname Mr. Steak. You and, stamped them with your branding iron? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And then when I did CNBC, they said, we have Mr. Steak, and that's how it's, it's, all it's, it's called on. So the old homestead, founded in 1868, the oldest continuously operating restaurant in the United States of America. Is that true? That is correct. But it wow. was the Tidewater Trading Post in 1868. The what? The time? The Tidewater trading. trading Post. The Hudson River came up to the doors of really? the old homestead, which was the Tidewater Trading Post. And uh, as years went on, the Hudson moved further out, 8th Avenue and 7th Avenue and 9th Avenue. And uh, it became the old Homestead Steakhouse. My family took it over in 1954. Wow. Um, and it's been continually operating since 1868. So the water was actually at the front. So Absolutely. when you look at the front of this, if you're actually on a Google map and you've never been to New York, you look out the front here, that used to be a river. Right. And, and those days, this was the society area of America. Right. In 1868. It's really unbelievable. You know, things were three cents. Steak was five cents. Uh, chicken and eggs were more expensive than steak at those days. Wow! So it's, it was it's it's the transition has been astronomical. What's this? This restaurant has been through is just I could write a book about it. Yeah, well, you should because we're going to deep deep dive into that. So it's been in the family since that whole period. It's been in the family since 1954. 1954. I got involved in 1964. My brother got involved in 1968. Wow. And we've taken it from uh, a small little restaurant to, I say, um, a small conglomerate of restaurants that my brother and I are operating at the present time. So you have one in Las Vegas? We have one in Borgata in Atlantic City. That was our second foray into the business. Right. From there, we went into Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And I hear you're a fan of Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas. The energy is fabulous out there. Caesars does a phenomenal job. Uh, we were positioned right across from Nobu. Yep. And if you're going to the show, you walk right past our restaurant. And you got to have a steak. And you got to have a you steak. You can't have sushi before a show. You got to have, have it all, and we <laughs> so, give it to you. So, in the early days when when this was operating, it was your father. My grandfather. Your grandfather, right. Yes. And so your grandfather was operating this. I heard something about you went to him and you wanted to buy a McDonald's franchise. Am I correct in that? Yes and no. I went to my father. Oh, you went to your father. <clears throat> and right. he said to me, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a hamburger stand. <laughs> Why is that? He didn't trust you with the money. That was the end of uh, it. those days, it was 150000 to buy a franchise. Yeah. And I said, you know, Dad, I want to get into some profession, meet a woman someday. I wouldn't even nickel for a hamburger stand. At that junction, I said, okay. I came to my grandfather. I used to work in the check room here. What year was that? 
Uh, it's been bought by MGM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been there now 18 years. Wow. And we'll be there for many, many more years. It's just... What was Atlantic City like before you got there? It was... It was How can I imagine it? It was just not a place you ever think would get better. Right. And then the casinos came. Now, the Borgata is on the Bridget, Bridget, um, side, not on the boardwalk. It's on sure. the other side of the water. Mm-hmm. So it's more like where Brigantine is. And yep. it's a gorgeous, gorgeous facility. The people that operate it just are professionals. We have a steady, constant flow of the same guests that come all the time. Not only casinos, they come from the general area, sure, Margate, sure. stuff like that. Then Caesars called us. Yep. They said, guys, we know what you did at Borgata. Would you be interested in Caesars Palace? Of course, we got a lot smarter. Sure. And we met at Caesars, and they had a restaurant called Nero's. Mm-hmm. That was we, very famous, I remember. Yes. Yep. Uh, it was doing about $7.5 million. Which in those days is like doing 25 30 now, right? Yes. And they said, what do you think? I said, well, I think it's a $12, $13 million store, the way we operate it. Uh, and they said, we want, we made a deal. Mm-hmm. Well, the second year we did $17 million. Wow. Uh, we've been just doing fabulous out there. Um, so we've been on three restaurants looking for our fourth, but Mark and I don't just do deals. Yeah. It's got to be the right deal that fits the brand. Sure. Let's jump now to covert. Yeah. How did we overcome covert? Yeah. If I'm asking the questions that you're asking, let me know. Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated that, you know, <clears throat> we're going to get to this in a second about covert because for a restaurant that has so much history and it's about your atmosphere as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sitting in a beautiful, stunning room that's been here for a very long time. You're actually sitting in a very famous little spot of Well, food. this was Jackie, uh, Jackie Gleason's uh, own table. And he was sitting right there. He would sit here with his beautiful carnation. He came in immaculately dressed. Yes. And uh, he would call in the afternoon to say what he'd like to eat. Right. He'd pick on it. He wasn't a big eater. And... Here we go. So he'd call his order through Absolutely. so it was ready when he arrived. Yes, because he did not want to be around the public and he'd always have his back. Yeah, well, that's an old school thing. I mean, e- I'm kind of e- like exactly. that. Restaurant tours, we all like our back to the wall. Exactly. And in, those, in that era, you know, and there was a few other guys. And go. Yeah. And I hear that also, I know that it's not a celebrity show, but you have a really uh, unique following of people. And I hear Whoopi Goldberg has a birthday Whoopi here. Whoopi just had a birthday party week. Because of the COVID, we catered it in her house in Jersey. Okay, right. But she usually has it here. She has it here. And she's been very, very supportive of Old Homestead yep. and a good friend of ours. So before we get into the, the the down and upside of COVID, I want to understand the history because this is more than just about steaks. And of course, your meat is incredible. I've eaten it before. Thank you. Tell me about the music association with this. Oh, boy. Okay, now you're getting into the rock and roll part of Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Um, very interesting. Uh, I'm a music fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I like heavy metal music as much as I like, you know, uh, uh, Kenny G and that yep. kind of stuff. And uh, a very famous rocker would come in here and eat. Yeah. And we sort of developed a bit of a friendship, not knowing exactly where he was going or who he was. You knew who he was? Yeah, Axel Rose. Right, Guns, Guns and Roses. Roses yeah. And Slash and the whole crew. And uh, he favored this restaurant. Right. And he became a regular, and they would throw their parties when they performed with Metallica. He'd call me up and say, 11 o'clock, clear the restaurant, we'll all be in. Wow. Uh, I was through 
the Stephanie Seymour era with him. Yep. And then he said to me, Greg, I want to be an investor in your restaurant. Oh, God. I said, How'd well. that go? <laughs> he says, I, and he would go down to the kitchen. So we were opening a steakhouse, an old homestead at the Boker Hotel. Right. I said, I'll tell you what. I'm not taking any people in. I'll take it in three or four. You want to be an investor? I'll give you a little piece. Put yep. up your money. Yeah. And uh, you got to know Axel. He floats around like no concern for anything. Mm. Uh, he was doing a concert. I said to him, after the concert, come to the restaurant. I think it would be a great opportunity. Yeah. You know, and he never showed up. Yeah. And uh, I said to myself, is this the kind of partner that I want that's not going to help me? And I gave him the money back. Yep. And for so he gave you the money? Oh, you gave me the money. Yeah. I gave him his money back. For about a year or two, uh, we sort of went a different direction. Uh, then about six months ago, he called me up. and He's coming in with a group, and we rekindled. Yeah. Uh, but he's sporadic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Slash and Metallica. And I can go on every, you know. Yeah. This, since him, brought everybody here. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, 50 cents. Yeah. You know, and I can go on and on. Not that I like to mention names that are. No, but they're My fun. customers come in, it's but fun. these are fun guys. Yeah, yeah, sure. And they love the brand, and you know, people got people have got to eat. They they love the brand. Yeah, they come in. They good spenders, and uh, that's the music end of the business. But you had a long history in the meatpacking because the meatpacking area for people that don't know the meatpacking area, as you said, there was a river right out front of your door, which yeah. I didn't even know. <laughs> I knew the river was close, but I didn't realize that close. But this area in the seventies was pretty seedy. It was well. I used to get here at like five in the morning, six in the morning. I yep. put my coat on and I go into the market. I had a branding iron. The truck drivers would come in with the meat late at night, and prostitution was pretty rampant. Yep. Uh, matter of fact, we used to have two security guards sitting at the bar. There was no tr walking trade at that time. We yep. were all people that knew about Old Homestead. Yep. And came because we were the place to go. Yep. Uh, so it was a very tough scenario in the 70s. But it would say, I heard a rumor that you used to have a couple of bodyguards look after you. Yeah, I said I had two security guards at all well, you times. You said security, I said bodyguards. So oh. why did you have bodyguards? For the safety of my patrons. Right. Okay. Um, because at nighttime here, it was a, it was a tough area. Yep. There was no transit people here. Uh, it was the truck drivers unloading the meat. Yeah. What did that bring? Yeah. Not the best. So uh, people that came here, had somebody outside welcoming him, got him a taxi cab to get out, and we had a, a very, very strong business in those days. Do you think that was part of the allure for some people, that you had a great product in a seedy area and it was a bit of an escape for them? Listen, people go up to Rayo's in Harlem. Yeah. Packed. Yeah. Um, it's just the meatpacking district was known as Old Homestead. And now it's so gentrified. Now it's another world. Our customers are not meat guys anymore. Our customers are... Um, Clear Channel. Yeah. Uh, our customers are um, uh, Saatchi and Saatchi. Yeah. Our customers are, you know, all the chic organization. Rolex is coming down the block. Yeah. Uh, so the world has changed, but we stay true to what we do. The only thing that we do a little different is every once in a while we spruce it up a little bit. Sure. Give it a fresh coat. We never change the menu. Yeah. We buy the same steaks. Yeah. Uh, we tweak it every once in a while for a new dish. Um, but we still have the same waiters. Yeah. Uh, wow. Front of the house is a little younger. Yeah. Because I'm a big believer in giving opportunities to the young in this industry and sure. 
the women of the industry. Sure. We have lovely hostesses. Um, our maitre d' is a young gentleman. Yeah. Uh, so being a little older in the business, it's nice to see young people that yeah. are running it for me. So let me ask you how, um, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. You've been doing it longer than I, myself. How do you maintain the status quo when eating habits have changed? You've never changed your menu. And I, and I, and I know why I, I come here, but mm-hmm. how does that, have you ever thought, oh my God, I need to get, you know, God forbid we probably don't want either of us eat kale, but somebody said, oh, kale's a thing. How did you maintain what we weathered done? every downturn? Yeah, uh, made cow's disease. Yep, we weathered it. Yeah, wow. COVID will weather it. Uh, we just have staying power. Yeah, you know we've developed over the last 40, 50 years a very good reputation, and as much as people are afraid to do things, we, my brother and I, are very smart operators. We jump way ahead of the times. When this COVID started, we changed our operation to outgoing. And one of the things that we did, which was very, very successful for us, we joined a company called Gold Bellies. I've ordered from them before. So Gold Bellies is the takeout for institutional places across America. Correct. Yep. And I can't tell you the response has been astronomical. I think we probably shipped out 800 orders since we started because people now can get our raw meat and cook at home yep. when they're going out. Yeah. That became a very big part of it, plus our outgoing, like you know about, DoorDash sure. and Grubhub. Yeah, so it's really interesting because none of us thought we would ever be excited about doing any of that, but you've managed to pivot an institution. I know a lot of institutions in New York just closed their doors, right? Because and, and, you know, I'm going to tell you why they closed their doors. When the industry was hot, people would open restaurants. They didn't really care what they paid for the rent. Mm-hmm. They thought the momentum would carry them forever. Sure. And then when this hit, and a guy's in for fifty, sixty thousand a month in rent, he's saying, "I'm gone. I'm history. I'm shutting it down." Sure. And that's a thousand restaurants have closed. And and more to come. And you own the premises here, right? Yes. So that's also helped you. And yes. That's one of the smartest things yes. to do. Yes. And I have to be honest with you, the PPP was very, very helpful. Yep. It uh, paid our vendors. It paid uh, our mortgage. So uh, right now we, you know, we have twenty-four weeks of payroll that's covered. Yep. Um, after the 24 weeks, this is gonna be a changing world again. Sure. The strong will survive. My opinion is restaurants may not get back into action till September. Now, why I say that? Corporate America will start to move back into New York by September. The, the people working at home will have to come back in. There will be some tourists. So I think people by September will start to see a rise in sales we're seeing it here now a little bit sure as it gets warmer the outside will start to pick up so it's another two months before we'll see a a brighter light yeah i agree i think i mean it was one of the conversations i've been having with people saying oh nobody's going to come back to office buildings and and i said i disagree i said you know big firms like if you're looking at somebody like goldman sachs or aig Mm -hmm. or whoever they're not looking at their rent they're looking at their staff and, and their productivity and they want them to be back in the office. They and gotta I think, see what they're doing. Yeah, and, and I think people want to go back to work. They wanna take their work out of their lounge room because New York City, you know, people don't live in massive venues unless you're, you know, extremely rich. Most people live in really small apartments. Correct. And now all of a sudden they're waking up and their office is in their apartment, they're not leaving. Yeah. So I think, do you feel like in history, repeats itself a little bit like the Spanish flu where we're going to have this massive boom straight after this, like the 20s? You know what? The Spanish flu 
after the Spanish flu it exploded, as you know. Yeah. Um, I think the world has changed a bit. Yeah. I think there's a desire to get out. I also think people have changed the way they are living, eating. That's why I say the strong will survive. You know, I'm not so sure that the people are going to storm out. Sure. I know travel is starting to pick up a little bit, which mm -hmm. is very, very good. Um, people have been a little bit tainted by staying home, sure. cooking themselves. Um, I think the warmer weather will help people mentally get out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't foresee a huge boom like happened. You know, Wall Street is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Corporate spending is not what it used to be. Yeah. Um, so it, it's going to be a, a it's going to be a struggle, but I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're one of many people that are in this industry for where life is, right? We Correct. we started this way. Where would I go? Where would we go? What else would we do? We just talked about that before this interview. I'm like you, Robert. This is our life. Yeah. Um, and I love giving the opportunity to younger people to join me. Sure. I mean, in Borgata, my brother Mark uh, spends a lot of time out there uh, with our management team mm -hmm. and bringing in young people. Mm -hmm. We spend time here with my manager, Louis. He brings in young people. And you know what? I've gone around the industry when things were really booming and I'd eat out. I'd say, Greg, how you doing? He's the waiter that used to work for me. Yeah, well. He's the maitre d' that used you're to work for me. You're pretty well connected in this city. Exactly. Lot of, we did a lot of homework on you and you're very well regarded. Exactly. Like, you know, uh, I was in Vegas with um, John George one day and uh, he was going out to have dinner with a couple mm -hmm. of the French chefs. Mm -hmm. He says, Greg, you know, join us. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, John George, I, you know, you, you're with the French chefs, and I, I don't really belong. You know, he said to me, he said, if it wasn't for you, a lot of us would not be in the business. Yeah. He said, you're an icon in that meatpacking district. I okay. kind of see you in a very similar light than I do Shep Gordon. You both help the industry grow. And a lot of chefs like Jean-Georges, you know, Wolfgang Puck, I know mm -hmm. you're friends with, and mm -hmm. even with Shep Gordon, they're very close. And you both sort of help the industry in, in a way that, a lot of these generations remember that, and I think that's really respectful for them to look back. And It's an honor. Mm. Uh, when Bobby Flay opened into Borgata, and we were the first restaurant there, I'll never forget this. He said, if it wasn't for Greg and Mark, who paved the way for us here, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. He said that. He said that to the media, because when I took the shot in Borgata, nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody knew about Atlantic City. You were the pioneer. Were, I was the pioneer, like I was the pioneer here. So, uh, you know, People ask us, what is the reason that you've succeeded? Yeah. Luck is one. Sure. And knowledge of meat to make sure that the homestead always got the best of the best. You know, years ago, if you'd walk in here for lunch, you'd see the meatpacking guys in white coats here. Yeah. So we became friends with them. So when I would order two, three hundred slobs of beef and I'd go through each one, they allowed me to pick out what I didn't like. Sure. I'd have an 08 stamp that we'd stamp. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the industry has changed. You know, some restaurants gone to what we call cryovacking. Yep. But Can't we stay. Stand that. No, well, we yeah. stay. We age all. We dry age all our meat here. So when COVID happened, you've been sitting on a ton of meat, right? That would be dry aging. And and how quickly you had to pivot to to gold well, belly and doing takeout and so forth like that. Gold belly is not cooked. It's mm -hmm. frozen meat. Yep. The meat that we had here, uh, we stopped buying, mm -hmm. and we weaned down our cycle pretty quickly. You know, mm -hmm. we still, as, you know, we closed for quite a while. Sure. Uh, but we weaned it down. We, we were headed. We saw. We saw the problem coming, 
and we reacted very quickly. Our management team here was very, very sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, we adjusted quickly. Then we closed. Um, you know, and that was a very sad day. Sure. You know, because we would have stayed open, Mark and I, no matter what. Um, it was a very sad day to close because we never closed. Mm. I mean, nine eleven happened. We stayed open just for anybody. Sure. So, uh, you know, even I mean, if you've we... seen these crises through the city, right? You've seen nine eleven. You've seen Hurricane Sandy. You've seen the global financial crisis. Now COVID, and this city is resilient. It's kind of interesting from people that I know that live across the other side of the world, and they look and they go, "So you were going to leave New York?" And I'm like, "I'm not going anywhere." And now there's all my friends. There's a word that I use. There's a pulse. Mm. in New York City that you can never get anywhere in this world. I've been to Singapore and I've traveled. Mm. There's a pulse, the theater. Once this all comes back, momentum gets back into play. And that's what I think will happen eventually. It's only like you always learns something like me. What have you taken out of COVID that when it's over, you'll keep? Will you keep the gold belly um, distribution? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The fear that I'll take out of COVID, honestly, that we never get another virus again. Right. That cut everybody's legs out. Let's not talk about the restaurant business for a moment. Any business that you're in and you have a thriving business, in one day, your legs were cut out. Sure. You were earning X, Y, Z, and now you're earning zero. Yeah, wow. So the fear is that this could happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, you got China, you got Japan, you got all these countries that you just never really know what's going on. Sure. So that's the fear. Yeah, I understand that. So now we're looking at opening up on Monday, 50% dining. Yes. And your team's ready to go? Team's ready to go. Reservations are picking up. We're very, very busy on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Mm -hmm. Tuesday and Wednesday, which is corporate America, is slowly starting to pick up. Um, But, you know, we sat down, my brother and I, and we calculated exactly what we need to do to pay our bills and to stay okay. And that's what we work. I think in a way, you know, I think human connection is about sociability and sociability is about restaurant dining, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about a steak. Regardless of people being able to get your steak and have it at home, they're going to want to sit in this room. Like it's a stunning room of to course. sit in. And of the course. atmosphere. And I wonder if now a lot more people are going to try and do business face-to-face because it's a much better way to do business. There's some things I feel like with restaurants... Yes, from our day, the corporate spend has changed, expense accounts and lunch in the city, like most cities in the world has changed. I mean, you know, you you know, in our era, going out for lunch and drinking three bottles of wine and maybe going back to work was normal now. Normal. You can't That's keep it, you can't keep a senior role if you do that. You can Correct. kind of do that at night. Correct. So the lunch game's quite changed. The has lunch changed? game is changed. Is it changed here? Right now we're not even open for lunch because right. it doesn't call for it. But it's very interesting what you said. I believe I'm sitting with you, Robert, and I'm looking at your eyes and you're looking at my eyes. Mm. That you can't get by staying home. No, or on Zoom. if you're on a date (laughs) and you're with guys, I always believe if you can look somebody in the eye, you can do a better business deal. And what you said is very smart. I think that's what the reality will come back. People will come to meet each other, to, to look at each other. You can't do that on a Zoom. And we're all looking for an excuse to go out. We're not. We're not even. We don't even need much of a reason. It's like, hey, we've done a deal. Let's go out and have celebrate. Exactly, it. and that's when yeah. things will start to reopen in New York, and people will start to get back here. And I believe by the summer, that's going to happen. I think after nine eleven, remember when everybody was talking about 
no one's going to travel and no one's going to fly anymore and it's going to be mm-hmm. years before. And within six months, I think everybody just went, hey, we've got to do business. And and actually online, there's Zoom and there's Skype and there's Cisco and you can, you know, systems and you can have all these, you know, digital meetings, mm-hmm. but they still don't. I'm dealing with multiple countries now. It's still not the same thing as sitting down, shaking somebody's hand, looking them in the eye and, and, exactly. doing, and doing business that way. Exactly. And, you know, you can open a bottle of wine in your house. Yeah, but you don't have a wine steward that's opening it and popping the cork, mm. and pouring it for you and making you feel important about the bottle of wine you're drinking. Sure. So these are all the exciting parts of what a restaurant does. Tell me about um, the 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 era. I'm really curious about when you took over, but like seventies to like the nineties. That was kind of the rock and roll end of the gangster era. Slowly was okay. becoming the end of the you know the Gambino family rule. I Correct. remember I was talking to Mike at Sparks, and they're very infamous with with um, Castellano. Castellano shot mm-hmm. out the front. That era changed because the meat packing started to become a little bit more safer. I guess late eighties was that? Am I about well, right? The uh the gam- that era, mm-hmm. which is a very exciting era, and I, you know, I studied that because I love that. Um, we had a lot of people that would come in here that were very well respected. Sure. And uh, they made the place interesting. Yeah. You could always depend on them if they asked you for something. There yeah. was no BS. Yeah. These fellas would come in, they'd spend their money, they'd leave, thank you. Um, but that era has changed. Giuliani cleaned up a lot of New York City. Yeah. Um, of course, he went rouge now. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that one out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm staying away from any political okay. comments as an Australian. I yes. think we've got our own issues, but I hear what you're saying. Right. And what happened now is the market has changed. The, the element has changed. Yeah, sure. More women are dining in the steakhouses than ever before. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll come in filet mignon filet mignon has gotten more popular because it's not as fatty yeah. as the rib steaks sure. um, younger people Wall Street people just the whole element we, we, you know we did a lot of athletes when this thing was going and the garden was open I mean Anthony Mason was one of our great customers before he passed away right. and he was with the Knicks he'd always be here with uh, Ron Starks and uh, you know Walt Fraser and you know um, Barry Bonds is, was a steady customer. You and I talked earlier about the 80s because I remember I was four, 15. I was 15 working my brother's restaurant and it was that that era when Frank Sinatra, Liza Minnelli came mm-hmm. to my brother's restaurant in, in, in Australia and Melbourne and they came two nights in a row and it was literally like out of a film set where they didn't trust any of our bar staff to make them a drink. They absolutely drank martinis. It mm-hmm. might sound cliche, but they did. Mm-hmm. And they 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 asked the uh, bar staff to bring the entire martini set up to one of their, um, uh, I guess, like uh, concierges they mm-hmm. carried around or you know heavies or whatever, and they made the martinis for them. Right. You said you used to have Liza Minnelli in here. Liza as well. Minnelli used to come in here, and she was a fascinating young lady. Yeah. Uh, there was a very famous composer by the name of Fred Ebb. Mm-hmm and who wrote all Liza Minnelli's songs. And he would be here once a week. And Liza would always come down to meet him. But she was such a, a, a dynamic person. She could never sit at the table long. Yeah. She'd get up looking for somebody to give her a cigarette. Yeah. Okay? Um, <laughs> when you could smoke in restaurants. Yes. And Fred Ebb was the coolest guy. He'd sit there, never get rattled. She'd stay an hour, she'd go. Yeah. Um, but she was exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. You know, when I think of sports figures, we were talking a minute, 
two of the most exciting times in my life here, besides the, the Guns and Roses, yep. is when Joe Lewis came in. Wow. And he walked through the front door. Every table got up and applauded him. Wow. Standing ovation. And then when Mickey Mantle became a very good customer of mine. Jesus. And he would come with Billy Martin. Now I'm going to tell you a very interesting story. Uh, I was upstairs about 3 o'clock one afternoon, and my, my waiter called me. He said, Greg, come down. There's a lot of people in the restaurant. And like in this banquet, there was a young gentleman and another gentleman sitting here. And there was threes and fives all over the place. And what, they went to the bathroom. They came back. And before I knew it, almost every table jumped up and arrested the man. Really? I, so I said to the what the heck is going on here? He said, this gentleman stole Mickey Mantle's plaque wow. from Yankee Stadium. Wow. Sat on it for 20 years and made a contact to somebody who was in the memorabilia business right. to sell it to him. He knew it was stolen, turned it into the FBI, and they met here to buy the plaque. Gotcha. And the guy had 20000 in cash, and when they passed the money, they came and arrested him. That would have been a bit exciting. It was you know, very, very exciting. Now it's a Mickey Mantle story. It's a Mickey Mantle story. Because Mantle and, uh, and, and Billy Martin would come often here. Yeah, wow. Of course, I don't have to tell you about Mantle and Martin. After a couple of cocktails, Yeah. they were friends with everybody. <laughs> and I, I, I walked in one day, Mantle was sitting at the bar yeah. by himself. Yeah. That was a great, great character. Because you created an atmosphere in here where people... I mean, I think we talked about this because I had a restaurant where we made famous people feel normal. Correct. And the general public feel somewhat special and famous, yep. right? And, yep. then, and that's a real art to get mm -hmm. that balance right because a lot of the people that... Particularly now, I think in those days there were definitely famous towards the paper, but now with the internet and... You know, I say now with the internet, I sound like I'm 100, like it was just invented. But now with the internet, you can't have privacy. And so when you are famous, you're incredibly famous. Do you ever, you know, like get some people that are just, you know, there's some people you don't see a lot of them. They're very famous. Like I remember uh, Kirk Douglas uh, came into my restaurant once in Sydney and he literally booked, and they booked under Douglas, very common name. And nobody clicked because I think it was straight after he's had his heart attack and he, and he was kind of a little stiff. And he came in, he had lunch, sat there on his own for a couple of hours, had something to eat. And then when, and, and then as he was leaving, my staff looked at me and they said, I think that's... Because, you know, Sydney, Australia, you wouldn't think right. Kirk Douglas is sitting in yep. Sydney, Australia. And they were, and then he signed the book, Kirk, The Fantastic Lunch and Left. Do you have clients like well-known clients that are kind of very discreet and they come in and they're well-behaved and they kind of... Sylvester Stallone. Yep. When he was in his prime doing Rocky, he was here all the time. Yep. Okay? Never bothered him. Always put him in a corner. Yep. If he was in the mood, yep. he'd sign an autograph. Sure. But we'd never promote him. Yeah. We'd never tell people that he was here. Yeah. He would come in um, with his crew. Mm -hmm. We also allowed him to use the restaurant as sort of a meeting place when we weren't open. Sure. To have a meeting with staff. Yeah. He was a very, very, very gracious guy. Yeah. He invited my brother and I up to the premiere. We sat there. The Bee Gees were there. Wow. Um, of course, Whoopi, you know, uh, Junior Schnabel. Wow. Famous artist. Yep. Who I'm honored to have six of his pictures on the wall You've upstairs. You've got him upstairs, right? Yeah. I'm upstairs. Uh, he painted for us at the Borgata a uh, cow. Yep. And you know, Julian's very artsy, mm -hmm. does some crazy work. Uh, it was featured on the wall and it's still there to this Stallone's day. Stallone's a bit of an artist as well. 
Yes. He's got a bit of a he's Yes, got a bit of a he series. does, yes. And as much as everybody wants to, you know, hate the idea of an, an act of, you know, painting, he's actually a really accomplished One of artist. the most, I, I, one of the nicest people that mm -hmm. I've ever met here is Lionel Richie. Yep. He said to me, sit down, take a picture with us. Wow. I mean, he was a fan of this restaurant. People could come over to him on the way out. We'd never let anybody bother him while they're eating. Yeah. We'd say, even with Whoopi, you can't come to, if you want to wait outside, if she'd want to send an autograph. Yeah, sure, sure. That's fine. Um, but Lionel like, Richie was great. Um, you I know, feel like with restaurateurs like you in New York, that this is why a lot of those high-profile people live here, because you don't really get hassled. No. You know, you don't get people chasing you. Jerry not Seinfeld like, was here one day, sitting yeah. there talking with me and my brother. We were having lunch. Yeah. Um, we don't get excited when they come in. They just speak. Come in like a regular customer. Sure. Sit down. Enjoy yourself. Uh, some great stories. One night, uh, Dean Martin's daughter, Dina Martin, was here. Wow. And we sat for hours and talked about the Rat Pack. Amazing. I've developed a, you know, we're very friendly with Dina and John. And I mean, the stories that she told us with Sammy Davis and some not, I mean, you could sit for hours and listen. It's pretty amazing. These are exciting things. Yeah. These are great That's things. That's an era that is, it's still, I'm still very fat, you know, um, reminiscent of the 80s. I think that that was an era where everything seemed possible. And it does now, but it was an era where, you know, I don't even know if we called them celebrities. It was more that these very well-known people were just mm -hmm. so... They had such great energy and it was yeah. so exciting. And they were well-known because they were talented. They weren't just well-known because they shot something on YouTube yeah, listen, or Instagram. Or, um, unfortunately, we had Kennedy here before yep. he passed away. Uh, he had just passed the bar exam. He celebrated. Yep. Um, you know, we've we've had everybody. You could Every mayor has been in with us here. Um and now we, we used to have a huge following down the block before the COVID. A lot of the models would come in here. Yep. A lot of the male models would come in here. Yep. And they were comfortable. Yep. They dug the scene here. Yeah. So know? tell me what's next for you. For now, we, we're going to get out of COVID. <clears throat> yes. You're going to have your three restaurants up and running. Correct. And what's next? I think that the Japanese market is a natural for old homestead. Really? Yes. You know, when we, prior to COVID, we had a huge following sure. of Asians. Yep. Um, I just think the Japanese market, but like I said, we're very slow. Mm -hmm. At this point, what we do is we get what we call management deals. Mm -hmm. um, at my age, I'm not investing money. Yep. Um, we're always looking for the right situation. We were just not going to open to open. Sure. Uh, Japanese, I, 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 it's interesting you say that because I used to work in a design firm and our, one of our offices was in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to always take our designers to Wolfgang's in Tokyo because, you know, as you know, a steak that might be $50, $60 here in New York in Tokyo is 150 160 Correct. because meat is so expensive right. and tariffs and so forth. <clears throat> if we're talking about Japan, we're... Um, am I right with this? With some of the research we did, you were the one of the first to put wagyu on the menu. I was waiting for you to bring that up. Okay. <laughs> um, you were actually the first restaurant. We to were the first person to bring wagyu to the United mm -hmm. States. Those days, people was calling it Kobe. Yep. Kobe beef from the Kobe region, mm -hmm. and we put it on the menu. And we started at seventy-five dollars, and people looked at us like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. 
We sold it out. The New York Times reviewed us. They gave us the three stars on it. When was this? Oh, this is almost 20, over 20 years ago. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Um, and it just, we became the signature place for Wagyu beef. About four years ago, I was invited to come to Japan, mm-hmm. and they did a documentary on me um, of the first restaurant tour ever to be able to go to an auction house and buy Wagyu cattle. Wow. Uh, and I lived there for quite a few days. I went up to the slaughterhouses. I was in the facilities where they raised the cattle, and it was incredible. They're black cattle, mm-hmm. and they're really scientifically controlled temperature-wise. Yeah. They don't let them roam yeah. because roaming builds muscle. Yeah. And the marbleization in the Wagyu that we get is 85% marble. Mm-hmm. The rest is meat. Um, and I brought it back, and it was an experience of, I actually butchered it. They wouldn't let us bring the bones back, only the yep. meat, because of the it's agriculture. still the same way, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And we still sell it here. We still sell it in Borgata, and we sell it in Caesar's Palace. Yeah, wow. So when they say, who knows about meat, that's why I'm Mr. Steak. Mr. Steak, do you actually eat steak now? Oh, I love steak. Yeah. What, what do you eat? What's your cut? Um, I like sirloin. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. I like sirloin. That's kind of, I always found that with restaurant people that we always end up with the sirloin. We like the firmness. We want the full flavor. We kind of don't want it too greasy, too fatty. I mean, you know, the filet mignons for us a little bit less fat. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What's better than a sirloin steak, a baked potato, and cream spinach in this world? Well, I I kid you not, and I'm not making this up. I'll show you a picture after this recording. I actually had uh, a friend of mine cook a a filet mignon last night and a baked potato that he whipped, put it back in the potato, covered it with cheese and some asparagus. And it was like a classic meal, you know, and Japanese uh, t- uh, Japanese whiskey last night. Oh, that's another topic. Yeah, I'm a uh, you know, whiskey aficionado. I don't drink whiskey, but I know that the Japanese Scotch is very popular right now and very hard to get. It sure is. Now in Borgata, we own every bottle from 19, I think it's 23, of single malt. Really? Yes. A Macallan Scotch. Jesus, we need to have it. We should have recorded there. <laughs> the producers, um, the producers actually uh, clapping, but we should have recorded there while we had a drink after. Uh, yes. After the after the recording. Um, but sac- Japanese whiskey, sake is you know a big thing. Yep. Uh, but the Scotch, and uh, of course the Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. So for you um, now, you've got three restaurants yes. potentially something in Japan yes was your brother still involved my brother was actively my partner yeah you know I spend most time in Borgata um, Mm -hmm. Vegas Mm -hmm. and he spends both time in uh, Borgata and we both spend time here and after this many years still get along really well in the restaurant business you have to you have to yeah if you're if you're not on the same wavelength and you're not going to uh, think alike sure you won't succeed of course, we all have our battles. Mm-hmm. You know, he may want, want to do something. I say, I don't think it works. But we have a manager here we sit with. We have an accountant that we run things by. We have a lot of good staff around us. Yep. So they, they sort of guide us to make the right decisions sure. if we're going in the wrong direction. But also that you, you <clears throat> stick by what you know and stay true to your origin and roots. I yeah. think that's I can't put fish things. house here. No, no. steakhouse. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, the homestead is synonymous with steak. Yeah. You know, and people would joke, they'd say, when you come here, you're eating in the prime rib capital of the world. Sure. That was one of the press gave us that uh, 
uh, you know, acknowledgement. But it's very interesting how things have changed. Prime Rib, which was our biggest seller, mm -hmm. is not our biggest seller any longer. Really? Gotham Rib Steak is a huge seller here. Wow. Okay? Um, lobsters that used to be big are not a big seller here any longer. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Things have changed. Sure. Okay? So uh, the key of staying in business is, is going a little left, but not too far left. Sure. And making sure you don't stretch yourself too thin, right? Wait for a rainy day that comes like uh, COVID. You never know. It seems to be every nine years there seems to be some I don't think anybody could have potentially saw the magnitude of the restaurant industry, what COVID did to it. I agree. I mean, from booming every night to having nobody in the restaurant within 30 days is is really scary. I remember that uh, I shut on the Sunday. I think Danny Meyer made the call to shut that weekend in the paper. Mm -hmm. uh, and I shut on the Sunday morning after having three months of a record night. And that Saturday night, I remember in the kitchen, we extended the kitchen hours for an extra hour and a half. We think we cooked till 12.30 and we had people from our bar downstairs wrapped around the stairwell standing in front of the kitchen to get to the bar. And then Monday morning, the whole thing was shut. Yeah. It was a, it was an incredible feeling. And riding through this city two months in, I think I was riding up Fifth Avenue to the wrong direction, up Fifth Avenue to Central Park with no traffic on the streets. And it was kind of a, a New York creepy, came to a standstill. It did come to a standstill, but it's coming back. And this is what I love about it. I always feel very New connected York will to this always city. come back. It's the place that the world wants to come to. New York City is theater, it's sports, it's restaurants. Mm. It's museums, and New York will never stop. It's just take a little longer time to come back this time. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I'm a big believer in New York, of course. I put all my money in here, but uh, I think that any company that is, is really wants to be global or considered global, three cities in the world you really have to be in. And I think, you know, I, I would argue that there would be London, it would be New York, and it would be Paris. And I think those three cities as a brand, particularly for mm. a fashion brand or even a restaurant brand. Um, you know, I the, think Las Vegas is quite a... Uh... Well, Las Vegas, absolutely. <clears throat> but I mean more for like institutional <clears throat> tourism and oh, yeah. hospitality. London is a fashion. great town. Yeah. Gr expensive town for expensive. restaurants. Expensive. Well, New York's not, we're not that cheap No, here. no, no. no. packing exchange. I also think you're going to see a little bit more change of these high-priced flying restaurants coming a little bit more down to reality. For now, but don't For you now. think, but you know, you and I have done this, how many times have we done this after the financial crash, everybody <clears> said, there'll be no high-end restaurants and then all of a sudden, Lemon Madison Avenue came up. Correct. I always feel like there's somebody out there and it's usually private equity that's backing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always somebody out there in a couple of years decides to do something outrageous, extravagantly expensive and makes a moment of it. I guess it's just a sick, it's a cyclical kind of... You know, that's probably why we're successful. We don't try anything different. Yeah. We don't go high, we don't go low. We try never to raise our prices if we can help it. And this is where we are, who we are. We're not gonna put uh, a expensive menu on for wine tasting, that's not what we do. Yeah, That's not what we do. You come in here, you get a hearty Trenchman's meal, you get a big yep. steak. Yep. I don't put out eight ounce steaks, I put out 16 ounce sirloin steaks. Well, Mr. Like, steak, Mr. Yes. Greg. You're a true inspiration to the most of this city. Everybody I spoke to had something beautiful and warm to say about you. I think you, they, everybody owes you a lot of favors. And, uh, you know, you're- I appreciate a, that very much. You know, you don't hear that too often. 
Yeah, well, I'm. It's I'm, nice they just said it. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome because it was our team and the executive producers have done so much history on you and and looking into your past and and the great things you've done and staying true to your roots. I think this is really important. You're not you're not someone sitting here as restaurants and go, oh, I have 40 restaurants and I own a plane company and I have a button shop and I have this and I have that. You're like, I've got my brand. I've got my restaurants. I believe in what I do. You've I've been a branded. Partnership. Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the thank show. Thank you, Robert. You're we a great guy. to roll this out. Uh, have a great day. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. All right, folks, that's it for today's show. If you love what we do, we'd appreciate if you follow, share, and like us. We love our listeners. We love you. The Raw Hospitality Show, Season 2.